My name is John Chafee. I was trained as a pastor and this is one of the ways in which I try to do something good with that education. This is Begin Again. So if you are looking for a nuanced or interesting take on the Jesus tradition and all of its wisdom and all of its perplexity and mystery, then you found the right place. I sincerely hope that this helps you to rethink some things, to maybe grow in your own way for health and holiness, for your benefit and for the benefit of those around you. So again, welcome to Begin Again. Okay, so I thought it'd be interesting at this point to read a few excerpts of a book that I've been reading, or at least rereading, going back through over the past week. I usually have not recorded these as videos as well. So this is a podcast in which I am also recording the video and uploading up it up to YouTube. So hopefully this goes well. This could be a train wreck, but I'm, I don't know, why not? So the past week, I've been revisiting Living Buddha, Living Christ by Thich Nhat Hanh. Thich Nhat Hanh was a, a Buddhist monk who was highly esteemed by Martin Luther King Jr. for the Nobel Peace Prize back in the day. Okay. And he was great friends with Thomas Merton, the Trappist monk that lived in uh, Kentucky, in Trappist, Kentucky at Our Lady of Gethsemane Abbey. But here's the thing. I've enjoyed reading him over the years because he doesn't, uh, he doesn't have fluff to say. He has deep and meaningful things to say. And somewhere along the way in my own path, I started to just start integrating insights from other faiths, other frameworks, other backgrounds. And then I came across some other things that said, a mature person is someone that knows how to incorporate the best of other traditions. And once you know it, in this same book, which I'm going to put the, the link to, Thich Nhat Hanh says, we have to allow that which is good and beautiful and true in other people's traditions to affect us, to help us to grow, to help us do the next thing. So I have two quotes for you. And one is rather long, not terribly long, but then the other one is a little bit less long. <laughs> okay. But here's the thing. I'm going to read the quote and then talk about it a little bit about why I enjoy it so much and why I think it might be helpful for you, but then also read the second one and do the same. And then we'll be done, okay? This is uh, reading <laughs> what John thinks is interesting. Okay. This is from chapter seven of Living Buddha, Living Christ. Listen along to what a Buddhist has to say about Christianity. There is a deep malaise in society. We can send email and faxes anywhere in the world. We have pagers and cell phones, and yet uh, in our families and neighborhoods, we do not speak to each other. 
There's a kind of vacuum inside of us, and we attempt to fill it by eating, reading, talking, smoking, drinking, watching TV, going to movies, and even overworking. We absorb so much violence and insecurity every day that we are like time bombs ready to explode. We need to find a cure for our illness. Many of our young people are uprooted. They no longer believe in the traditions of their parents or grandparents, and they have not found anything else to replace them. Spiritual leaders need to address this very real issue, but most simply do not know what to do. They have not been able to transmit the deepest values of their traditions, perhaps because they themselves have not fully understood or experienced them. When a priest does not embody the living values of a tradition, he or she cannot transmit them to the next generation. He can only wear the outer garments and pass along the superficial forms. When the living values are absent, rituals and dogmas are lifeless, rigid, and even oppressive, combined with a lack of understanding of people's real needs and a general lack of tolerance, it is little wonder that the young feel alienated within these institutions. Buddhism, like Christianity and other traditions, has to renew itself in order to respond to the needs of the people of our time. Many young people all over the world have abandoned their church because church leaders have not caught up with the changes in society. They cannot speak to the young people in the kind of language the young can understand. They cannot transmit the jewels they have received from their ancestral teachers to the young. That is why so many young people are left with nothing to believe in. They feel uneasy with their church, their society, their culture, and their family. They don't see anything worthwhile, beautiful, or true. We need roots to be able to stand straight and go and grow strong. When young people come to Plum Village, this is where Thich Nhat Hanh lived and taught, I always encourage them to practice in a way that will help them go back to their own tradition and get rerouted. If they succeed at becoming reintegrated, they will be an important instrument in transforming and renewing their tradition. After an interfaith retreat in Santa Barbara, one young man told me, Tay, I feel more Jewish than ever. I will tell my rabbi that a Buddhist monk inspired me to go back to him. People from other traditions have said the same thing. Okay, now why did this quote stand out to me? It, it stood out to me the first time that I read it, uh, maybe two years ago, and it did again this past week. Because it's obvious that many people have been walking away from church, been walking away from faith. But I think in reality, people aren't really walking away from faith. They aren't really walking away from those things. What they're doing is walking away from the rigidity of a system that thinks that stuff is about being rigid. <laughs> I hope that made sense. Since younger generations don't see, do not see goodness, beauty, truth, and love happening in their own faith communities, of course they walk away 
of course, right? And if all young people see is the church as an institution with which to belong, even when it's ugly, not telling the truth, right? Goodness, beauty, truth. Oh, if it's actually got evil practices, absolutely. Or if it's being unloving, then of course. Why would they want to belong to a place and belong to a community, uh, an interpretation of the faith that's not interested and seeking after goodness, beauty, truth? <laughs> you see, it's, it makes obvious sense. But uh, I'm going to give a shout out to a woman, Cindy. I just had a conversation with her earlier today, and we talked for about an hour and a half. But it was fascinating because she's in a different stage of life than I, but there was a commonality of saying, oh, this is really what the thing is all about. And it's so fascinating to sometimes come across you people that reach out to me and either we do a Zoom meeting or a meet up in person. And we have these two or three hour conversations that really are invigorating even to me and reinforce for me my own understanding that Christianity is actually full of goodness, beauty, truth, and love, but that some expressions of it that we see today are not so much. Yeah. So let me read to you the second quote that stood out to me. Young people are walking away because they are not experiencing goodness, beauty, truth, and love, and they're seeing leadership that seek to defend rather than listen to feedback from the next generation. I really think that there's a mistake happening that devotion to the institution is being misunderstood as devotion to Jesus. Because just because an institution has the name of Jesus plastered all over it, it does not mean that it's beyond being held accountable, right? Oh. And so, of course, Jesus has the ability to critique his church. And one of the ways in which Jesus critiques the church is by people that maybe are a fresh set of eyes, the next generation. Maybe it is from people that are choosing to walk away from the institution. What would it look like for a church to seek out feedback from the people that have left it as they're walking out the door rather than just lament, oh, they left the faith. They left our community. Let's just lament them losing their devotion. Hmm. So anyways, let's read the second quote. I hope this isn't too negative. We're going to make it hopeful. Don't worry. This is from the same book. Speaking of Buddhism, it says, In the beginning, we might have embarked upon the path of Buddhism thanks to a belief in reincarnation. But as we continue to practice and touch reality, our beliefs change. We don't no, we needn't be afraid of this. In the course of our study and practice, as we touch reality more and more deeply, our beliefs naturally evolve and become more solid. That's interesting. When our beliefs are based on our own direct experience of reality and not on notions offered by others, 
No one can remove these beliefs from us. Experience matters is really it. Making a long-term commitment to a concept is much more dangerous than building your life on your own experiences, is what he's saying. If 10 years pass without the growth of our own belief, one day we will wake up and discover that we can no longer believe in what we did. The notion of 10 years ago is no longer sound or adequate, and we are being plunged into the darkness of disbelief. Our faith must be alive. It cannot be just a set of rigid beliefs and notions. Our faith must evolve every day and bring us joy, peace, freedom, and love. Faith implies practice, living our daily life in mindfulness. Some people think that prayer or meditation involves only our minds or our hearts, but we must also pray with our bodies, with our actions in the world. And our actions must be modeled after those of the living Buddha or the living Christ. If we live as they did, we will have deep understanding and pure actions, and we will do our share to help create a more peaceful world for our children and all of the children of God. Now, Thich Nhat Hanh, obviously, he comes from the Buddhist tradition. But it's fascinating, this book that's about both traditions, about Buddhism and Christianity, Living Buddha, Living Christ. And what I find so interesting is that he is respectful of both traditions. He's not, he doesn't give into an either-or thinking. But there's something about this that why is it that someone technically outside of the Christian faith has such a piercing evaluation honest eye set, eyesight to look at the whole thing and to say, here's how it can prove, here's how it could be done a little differently or better. It would be great, I think, if we did this thing called reverse evangelism. I first heard this from Pete Rollins. He talks about how it's one thing to go out to other people and say, here's how you can be more like Christ. It's another thing to go to non-believers and say, how can I be more like Christ? So it's an evangelism, but it's reversed because it's actually about getting feedback. How can I look more like Christ to you? Wow. Now, one thing that's interesting is that within Buddhism, there's this thing called the Dharma. The teaching sometimes is translated as the law. So in their tradition, that's what they say. Anyways, every so often, there has been something called the turning of the Dharma, where the teaching is actually seen as having like a, a step forward it 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 evolves it blossoms a little bit more and if we're being honest christianity has had that too we don't call it the turning of the dharma but we might call it a reformation around the year five or six hundred there were a lot of reformations that were brought about by the monastic communities in the desert that were saying we need to do this better and then there was another reformation that happened around the year 1054 when the East and the Western churches had a, a large disagreement and they were trying to refine what they thought the faith was all about. Then you flash, flash forward again to 1517, the start of the Protestant Reformation. Luther thought, hey, we need to tweak this. We need to move this forward. We need to do something like that. And Phyllis Tickle says that every 500 years, the church needs to have another reformation, which means we are obviously due right now 
for another one. And it's possible that this next reformation is not one that happens from within, but is one that happens from without. Meaning, what if the next reformation is one in which Christianity turns outward and asks the world, how can we be more like Christ? To turn to the next generation and ask them, can you give us some feedback about what we can do differently, where you see our pitfalls are, what are our mistakes, have a posture of learning, have a posture of humility. What would it look like for the church to turn outward and ask other traditions on purpose, how do you think our tradition needs to be more like Christ? That's a game changer, isn't it? So all this goes to say, Thich Nhat Han over the past week has been kind of batting around in my mind. And I do think he has some legitimate insights that need to be listened to, that need to be adhered to, maybe uh, implemented. And there seems to be this um, reality that as we step more and more into this internet world, a global worldview, uh, it might be that the East and the West have to start learning from each other's wisdom. Which is interesting because I think there was a point in my life when I thought maturity in faith was by um, purity of teaching. It was by, no, is that not Christian? Then we're not going to listen to that. And so you push it out. Maturity is defined by only listening to things that are properly Christian. Whereas more recently, my understanding is that maturity comes more so by learning how to integrate the best insights of other traditions. Not to say you compromise. It's not what I mean. I don't mean that you syncretize or that you blend the two together. But there's something very true. And actually, the Catholic Church even agrees with this. Anyone who follows Jesus is free to accept truth no matter where it comes from. In the words of Tertullian, their early church father, all truth is God's truth. So no matter where it comes from, it's not necessarily a threat. If you hear a truthful statement from a Buddhist, cool, integrate it. If you hear a truthful statement from a scientist, cool, integrate it. From a mathematician, cool, integrate it. From a Sufi, cool, integrate it. From a rabbi, cool, integrate it. All truth is God's truth. Whether or not it actually has this banner over it that says, oh, this is a Christian truth. That's not how it works. There's only one truth, right? And all truth is God's truth. Sometimes we give something the title of being Christian, not just because it's true, but because to us it feels safe. It feels like it's from one of us. And that's not necessarily how the Holy Spirit works. And I say that because I want to say it's Walter Brueggemann. I could be wrong. Walter Brueggemann, I think, says that if the church will not raise up preachers and teachers and prophets, then the spirit will raise up preachers and teachers and prophets in other traditions to take on the task of God, to speak the truth and love, to be embodiments of goodness, beauty, truth, and love, no matter where it happens. So all this goes to say, let's wrap this up. 
As you go about your week, I would highly encourage asking for feedback more than anything else. Ask feedback from people around you. What do they say? How could the the Christian tradition be more like Jesus according to them? In what ways would they say those that say that they're Christians are actually not very Christ-like? That'd be very interesting. So maybe put down the task of evangelism for a bit and instead just ask for feedback for a bit. Maybe even go read some Thich Nhat Hanh in this book as well. Okay. Um, but then also try to think about you have your own quote unquote, for lack of a better term, turning of your own Dharma, the, the laws of your life, the things that you've structured your life around, they might need to have a turning of the wheel themselves. Not to say you do away with them, but just like a diamond is still a diamond when you turn it, it refracts the light a little differently. Maybe it's about time for you to take the teachings and the lessons and the insights that you've always had and like a diamond, turn it just a little bit or a kaleidoscope. That'd be, a, that'd be another good one. It's still a kaleidoscope. You're still looking at all these jewels, but as you turn it, the beauty changes just a little bit and it's still in a kaleidoscope or it's still a diamond as you turn it. But maybe there's some new insights. Maybe there's some new beauty, some new goodness, some new truth, some new love to be found by taking what you've always known and just turning it a little bit and looking at it in a brand new light, still holding on to it, still respecting it, still living by it. But I really think Thich Nhat Hanh was onto something there when he said we have to allow our own faith to be informed by our new experiences. We have to let it take on the shape of the world as we are coming to find it. We no longer live in a universe in which the universe spins around the earth. Now the earth spins around the sun and that changes things. How does that change our understanding of things? We thought we lived on a flat plane, but apparently we're on a globe. That also caused a change. So anyways, keep growing, obviously. I feel like I say that all the time. But feel free to begin again. Start over. Because maybe there's a new angle to think about things. And maybe it means that you pick up a living Christ. No, sorry. Living Buddha, living Christ. By Thich Nhat Hanh. Okay. I hope you enjoyed this. <laughs> if you didn't, it's okay. But let's finish with a good old benediction. This is the benediction I say to my college students. Okay. Here we go. May you be light and life and love to the people around you. May you heal the suffering that you see in the world and in yourself. And may the Christ shine grace and peace upon your path this day. We'll see you later. Grace and peace.